You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Your regularly scheduled program is not available at this time. Please enjoy this special broadcast on AINC. Your regularly scheduled program is not available at this time. Please enjoy this special broadcast on AINC. My name is Rebecca Michael. I'm the Advocacy Manager at the Independent Center, and I'm with Daniel Ratcliffe, the Benefits Coordinator at the Independent Center. And we have two guests with us. Um, primarily, the reason why we wanted to do this is not just to put them on the spot and have them come and talk to us, but really it's because um, the Independent Center, along with its home health agency, is a center for independent living. And we talk about our center a lot, and a lot of people are kind of doing a lot of Googling about what the IC is and what we do. And so instead of having them Google it, they, we brought you two here yeah. for you to talk to us. <laughs> exactly. Right. So um, I'll have you guys introduce yourselves, and we'll jump into kind of the history of what independent living looks like and some of those champions that we kind of admire and, and look up to. Um, so go ahead, Dixie. I'm Dixie Herring. I'm the director of the Center for Independent Living. And I'm Courtney Stone. I'm our senior manager. Wonderful. See? We brought the, we brought the big guns in today. I have to behave myself. <laughs> Watch it. Yeah. 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 We'll keep an eye on you. Don't worry. All right. Cool. cool. Yes. So um, so let's jump in. I, I want to start off not exactly jumping into what independent living looks like and how it got started. I want to start off with kind of... Um, a story that Courtney told me the first day that I started, and it, it really made me kind of go, yes, I'm in the right spot. I really like this this place. <laughs> and the way that Courtney tells this story um, just kind of captures your your um, your passion and makes you want to continue to move forward mm-hmm. in, in our work. So um, without further ado, Courtney. Yeah, without further ado, and no pressure whatsoever. <laughs> No pressure, no pressure. <laughs> well, I, I honestly love telling the story of Wade Blank, and it's actually kind of a fun indicator when we have new staff sort of about where, where their passions and their heart lies. But um, the the independent living movement started back in the 70s, and there are quite a few different players that were involved with that, but Wade is our local hero. Um, <laughs> Reverend Wade Blank was a, um, a recreational coordinator at a nursing facility in Denver, and he did not have a disability himself, but he supported other people with disabilities who were living in a nursing home because there was no other accessible place for them to live. So there are 30 or 40-something-year-old people with disabilities that are stuck in a nursing facility because there's just no other place for them to go. And at that time, that was just the assumed, that was the path that people with disabilities took. If you, especially if you used a wheelchair or had any really, you know, more significant disability, there wasn't a lot of option or even, even the thought that you should have the option. Mm -hmm. So Reverend Blank um, was working in this nursing facility with these younger folks and I don't know the specific number, there are 8 to 12, but they were interested in going to a Grateful Dead concert. And um, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Let's go! (laughs) Reverend Reverend Blank took that to um, the administrators at the nursing facility and asked if he could you know, figure out how to get these guys to this concert and they just flat out turned him down. That, you know, it would make other people uncomfortable, that it wasn't safe, there was no way to make that work. 
And um, that kind of just sparked this idea of like, why? Why are we doing this? Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, there were some processes kind of along the way, but but the, the larger outcome is that Technically, Reverend Blank might have kidnapped them technically from Let's the nursing the facility. Yeah. You know, from, from their view, it was that he was releasing them from essentially forced prison, sure. but tomato, tomato. Like, that, <laughs> I mean, like he, he essentially took these, these eight to ten people and found a, a home out in the community that he made accessible, and he lived with them so that they would have access. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, in places across the country, they were recognizing that that the institutions didn't have to be the only option, mm-hmm. but that once you moved out into the community, um, even though you opened that door, you were sort of faced with six more closed ones. Yes. That um, maybe the sidewalks didn't have curb cuts, or in particular, they focused on public transportation, that, you know, they could get, they were living in an accessible house, but once they got into the house, could they get out into the community? Could they get work? Could they go visit anywhere? And so um, in Denver in 19 19- 1978-ish. ADAPT, which is Americans with Disabilities for Accessible Public Transportation. That's how it started. Mm -hmm. Um, They are probably one of the the most maybe extreme, somewhat militant, but um, (laughs) folks in support of rights for people with with disabilities. And they really started this movement around independent living um, in large part by, by setting up these protests around public transportation, where they you know, and you you hear this in the disability rights movement a lot. The phrase um, "nothing about us without us," mm-hmm. and that you know really started with that core group of people who who they went through the process um, in both Denver and in Chicago, kind of around the same time of trying to figure out how we got accessible public transportation. And they did it the nice way, you know, you mm-hmm. you escalate and you have the meetings, right. and then you have more meetings, and eventually they got to the point of just okay, this is enough. We're not getting anywhere, yeah. and. So so they chained themselves to the buses and said, if the buses aren't going to be accessible to me, they're not going to be accessible to anyone else. Right. And that really, that the, the media, I get goosebumps like every time I tell that story. Um, <laughs> that, you know, that really started um, the national attention on, on the fact that people with disabilities thought that they should have access. Yes. It wasn't somebody else fighting for them. It was, you know, they would crawl up the steps of buses to to make it as clear and apparent like this is what you're asking me to do to be a part of the community and and I deserve better uh-huh. um, and so that that's kind of at the heart of what we do is this sense of if there's a barrier we do try and work through it in the most you know sort of collab- collective collaborative way possible but there is a point where we do say this is something that we deserve and we will stand up and make sure that it happens so when I'm hearing this story, it it's really resonating with me uh, because it, it, it very much so sounds like disability rights and civil rights are hand in hand. The same ask is there. The same want of uh, inclusiveness is there. Uh, the same strength is there. And it's, it's wonderful. It's very powerful to hear that story. It sounds like uh, Reverend Bo was the Harriet Tubman of disability rights. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's, you know, Reverend Blank is, is Reverend one. Reverend Blank, I'm sorry. Oh, you're good. I mean, but um, there there are so many disability rights advocates that, mm-hmm. that have those core stories. And you're absolutely right that, that the civil rights movement 
women in the disability rights movement are they're like they're cousins of each other. Yeah. That yeah. you know the civil rights movement didn't call out disability rights specifically, but it has it was that foundation yeah. that we can look and say, hey, they fought for a collective identity for that they because they belong to a group deserve mm-hmm. something more. Yeah. Yeah. And being able to win that is is pretty amazing. And mm-hmm. the fact that you know we say civil rights and everybody knows that what that means, right. but I know and I acknowledge and struggle with how much further we have to go with the disability rights movement. Yes. Yeah, because you say disability rights, and it's not like, exactly. oh yeah, I know what that means. Uh-huh. There's, yep. you know, that it's it's something that our community recognizes and connects yes. with, mm-hmm. but it's so recent, and and not to say, well, it's thirty years old, right? So it's not that it's as if it's completely new, well, but um, still we're still, new. Yeah, yeah, we're still on the forefront of even the idea yes. that yes. that people with disabilities deserve equal access. So it's a really exciting time to be part of the independent living movement because we have so much work in front of us and I, i think we get to take some pride that um the united states in in the world like in you know on earth mm-hmm. whatever problems we have and as frustrated as we can be about accessibility we are the model for the rest of the world yes. right. the ada was the first and most expansive civil rights law for people with disabilities that exists anywhere yeah. so if we can take pride about you know truly being the best in the world at something accessibility is one i, I take a lot of pride yep. in awesome. me too. You're, you're giving me hope you're giving me hope right now yes the like the world is a good place right now. We'll get there. We'll get there. Exactly. (laughs) Well, Dixie, um, after hearing, you know, Courtney's kind of inspirational story or an individual that she looks up to and the work that that person did, who do you look up to in the disability rights community and tell us about that well i want to talk about ed roberts and this takes us kind of back to the beginning of independent living and so i'll tell a little story about ed just so you can understand his life and some of the barriers that he had to go through um in 1952 ed was um age 14 and he contracted polio and became paralyzed from the neck down so what that meant was is his lungs were paralyzed and he had to be on a um uh, like a ventilator or an iron lung, and in those days that iron lung was was pretty large. Yeah. And so uh, when he went to school, he he attended school by phone okay. all, his whole life, except for high school. He attended in person, and he he got through the whole high school, but he could not do driver's ed and physical education. So the school board was denying him the right to graduate. And so his mom advocated for him by challenging the the school board, and he was then given a diploma and and able to graduate. So I really think that was kind of that first bit of advocacy that that he was learning to to stand up for his own rights. Mm -hmm. Well, he went on to to college. attended a two-year college and applied to uh, the University of, in, of California at Berkeley, uh, but didn't let them know that he had disability because that really wasn't part of, you know, he was going to school. Right. Yeah. And when he got there, he found out that his iron lung would not fit into the dormitory. So the college denied him entrance into the school. So he challenged that decision, and it was overturned. He was able to attend college, and they, they made a dorm room out of the school infirmary for him. Oh, And so uh, there again, he was... Um, challenging that, hey, I can be part of society just like anyone else. I just need to, this just needs to look a little bit different for me. And so while he was at at school, he 
formalized a a group for disability rights to to help others to attend in school to have uh, those rights and, and it was part of peer support making sure that they had wheelchair repair um, all of the different things that that they needed to be able to live in the community independently and go to and go to school and that was really the beginning of that whole independent living movement in 1972 um, after Ed had graduated with his master's degree he started the first center for independent living and it was based on that peer su- support model oh, okay. um, and he had, right. he had worked hard to find the funding to get that started so um, down the road a little bit I believe it was in 1976 Ed became the um, director of the California uh, Vocation Rehabilitation. And that's the same, I think this is really interesting, that's the same entity that back when he was um, attending, or wanting to go to college, said that he would not be able to go to college wow. and get a degree. And he proved to them that he <laughs> was able that to get that degree. Uh-huh. And then he was running that agency. Isn't that really cool? That is it's really wonderful. cool. Yeah. It's almost so, like karma. Yeah. It, it really yeah. is. I'll show you. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. He really, he really worked on promoting those disability rights across the, the country and sure. um, started more independent living um, centers across the state. Sure. One of the things that went in 1952 when he contracted polio, just to kind of give you an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, the the mindset wasn't that you were going to, like like your life was over you weren't going to be able to to really engage in society and right. give back to society and one of the doctors said that he um, Ed would be a, a vegetable to his parents yeah. well later in life Ed said well if I'm going to be a, a vegetable then I'm going to be a, a prickly uh, artichoke prickly <laughs> on the outside and and a big heart on the inside wow. and so he he become known as the father of independent living yeah. and so I, I just think that's a neat story because we have a conference room um, at our center that is named after Ed and have all the information because we wouldn't be where we were Mm -hmm. uh, um, with disability rights if it wasn't for for Ed and what he started. Sure, sure. And so um, he started the first Center for Independent Living in California? Yes. Where in California? Berkeley, California. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. The beginning of the civil rights movement. Yes. (laughs) That's amazing. Wow. Man, so uh, hearing you guys speak about individuals that you look up to in the disability rights movement Mm -hmm. inspires me to tell both of you that I look up to you guys um, in the disability (laughs) awareness and disability rights movement and the independent living movement. Um, I see Dixie in our office regularly and she is probably one of the most pleasant people that I've ever met in my life. Um, she actually comes down from her from her throne, per se, to actually just come into the office and say, hello, how are you doing? Uh, and that means so much. It, it means so much to me. When the consumer sees it happening, they appreciate it, and I just wanted to give you your props right now and just say... And just say thank you for that. Um, and, and with that, I, I wanted to get into what got you, what what gave you the uh, the drive to join this independent living movement. I'd say it was a series of life events. Um, I have a brother with an intellectual disability, and so as an older sister, I was tasked with a lot of his care, and that mm-hmm. care really carried into adulthood and really making sure that he got all of the services that he needed. Um, and as... 
time went on as an adult, I had other family members with a disability. So I found myself really helping to connect them to the resources that they needed to live independently. Mm. And that really became, it, it was clear to me at that time that that was a passion of mine. I really liked connecting people to to the resources. And I had a really good understanding of what those were because of the help that I, I gave to my family. So uh, I decided to change careers, go back to school. I got my bachelor's in social work and started working um, in the field of disabilities. Mm-hmm. And then in 2010, someone let me know that there was an opening at the Independent Center. And it's like, wow, who's the Independent Center? So I started doing a lot of research. And, she Googled. Um, <laughs> luckily enough, got the job, started working uh-huh. there. And I really found out that I didn't know near as much about disability as I thought. So it was right. a real education for me. And it was just a great experience to learn. And I think um, what was really special about it is I really learned about myself and my own disability that I didn't even recognize that I had. I was always hard of hearing, but, you know, I could hear some, so I just struggled. Mm -hmm. And I tended to hide it from people because I didn't want them to think I didn't know what was going on. So what I found was I just kind of retreated a lot Mm -hmm. because it was hard to engage because I couldn't always catch what everybody was saying. And I think I was at work for about three months, and our deaf and hard of hearing specialist said, Dixie, I noticed that you read lips. And I said, I do. I didn't. It was something, just a real natural thing that I had adapted wow. without even realizing. And so once I started paying attention, I thought, wow, I really, I really do. Mm-hmm. And I think a real turning point for me was I was sitting in a room planning a deaf and hard of hearing um, expo with a group of individuals, mostly hard of hearing. And they were talking about all of their struggles, um, you know, how when they go to a restaurant, they can't hear. So they're talking about how they sit in the corner and they can hear better, yeah. how much energy they expend during the day just to kind of engage and hear what people are saying and how wore out they are, were, are at the end of the day. And I just welled up with the emotion because I thought, wow, I that's, that's what yeah. I, that's what <laughs> that I go through. I didn't realize that's what that was. Yeah. And I think that was the first time I really, truly understood what peer support was. Yeah. And that was, I think, a real turning point for me in understanding what the independent living movement is and what it's all about and that right. whole peer mentoring. Yes. That's so. amazing. So it's it's really changed my life. Yeah. yeah. I hear that a lot with a, with either consumers or, or employees that yes. they come to this environment where you know, you're just, you know, come as you are, we'll take you as you are, yeah. and then you realize that you you've been adapting your life around an environment that wasn't built for you. Mm-hmm. And then when you come to the IC, you notice that like there is attention to detail so that you can be involved. Yeah. Um, you know, the, 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 the no step entries, yeah. the loop systems, um, just understanding that there was care and thought put into a human being working in this environment and making sure that they have the access that they need. So, yeah, yeah I've heard that a lot. I'm not, I'm no, I agree. Definitely. I've had those those moments where it's like, I'm so happy that I work here. Like, <laughs> thank you. You get, you get it. Like, <laughs> large print agendas for this meeting. Oh, my gosh. Yes. You got to celebrate the small victories. <laughs> Yep. Yep. Definitely. Definitely. And so, and, and with, um, I know that, uh, Courtney, you've, you've been on here before and you've explained your journey to the IC. Um, let's, let's just get into, um, 
your position at the Independent Center and, and, and discuss that a little more in depth. So uh, what is your current role at the Independent Center? So my current role is as our senior manager. So um, I I supervise the six program managers that we have that support all 16 of our independent living programs. Right, right. And so me knowing you personally, I, I want to even go further back. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's go back then, leading <laughs> up to that wonderful yes. position. <laughs> How did you start? What positions? I personally know, but I want the listeners to key into the 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 wonderful feats and, and things that you bring to the table um, and what you've accomplished in such a short period of time. Uh, when I met you, you were in advocacy mm-hmm. um, and you are working on the uh, the transportation uh, coalition mm-hmm. and I remember meeting you and seeing the passion that you had for making transportation accessible for all in Colorado Springs and even outside of Colorado Springs and I, I thought to myself she must be crazy <laughs> to, to take on such a big role and you did it fearlessly mm-hmm. so I, I just want you to talk about that journey of, of yeah. The what you've gone through and what you were able to accomplish in our community for transportation, which would then justify the position that you have <laughs> today, the well-deserving Thank position you. that you have today. Yeah. Well, I actually started at the Independence Center in 2013. So as a millennial, hitting my six-year anniversary is like, whoa, <laughs> breaking the mold. <laughs> <laughs> But it's a hard place to leave, honestly. Um, I started as our community organizing coordinator. And at the time, I was our only co- uh, community organizer. And, and the specific focus, as you mentioned, was on public transportation. And to be honest, um, I came into this position not knowing a whole lot about community organizing and knowing even less about public transportation. <laughs> so <laughs> there, was, there was a lot of learning going on in that first year. But the beauty of organizing is that you don't have to be the expert in the issue. You, you have to surround yourself with people that have lived experience mm-hmm. with it. So yeah. the coalition was people that used the bus every day, relied on the bus every day, and knew the ins and outs far better than I could. And so mm-hmm. my role was simply to try and organize their voices so that they were better heard. And a lot of that was, um, you know, it's it's a group of very diverse people coming together with different needs. And almost everybody initially comes to the table with, like, the most important thing to Colorado Springs is that the route directly in front of my house is going 15 minutes every hour. And, you know, everybody comes with that mindset because that's why you do advocacy is because you have a self-interest. You don't usually show up just because you're curious and have some free time about an issue that you don't understand or know about. Mm -hmm. It's because you actually have investment. Mm -hmm. And so being able to learn about what the the political environment is with public transportation and the biggest thing with organizing is who has the power to change this? Mm -hmm. Um, We spend so much time directing energy to people that can't actually make a decision to make things better for us. Yes. That, you know, we take it out on the teller at the bank when something happens at the policy level with my, you know, fees. I don't know. But (laughs) being able to say, like, this this is the person that can make the decision. What do they care about? Mm -hmm. And do I have anything that's that overlaps with that? How can I leverage what I have to make them care about what I need? Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And that process is, it's a long-term one, um, but the more purposeful you are and the more people involved in it, the more impactful you can be. So we started as just a small group of writers of public transit and then developed that into a coalition of organizations, all of which served people who had an investment in improving public transportation. So we did did rallies, we met with the mayor, um, we would meet with every city council candidate with elections, um, and it was really being able to prioritize what we wanted first. So it wasn't just, we want better public transportation, it was we want $171,000 more for this particular route to do this. Because if you ask for a broad, we want something better, they can be like, well, I gave you $10,000, why aren't you happy? And the more specific you are with what you want, the more likely you are to get it. Mm -hmm. And it's been it's been such a beautiful thing for me to recognize how much the process of organizing applies in every structure in every arena that it's not just for political advocacy it's the process of identifying how to get the things that you want Mm -hmm. um and (laughs) turning you know being my age and kind of going through um, four-ish years within the public transportation arena and getting to the end of that and like it's addictive to feel like you have the capacity to change something in your community. Like it, you know, those little tiny wins that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, well, and some of them were really big, like getting, um, the first 15 minute bus route in Colorado Springs in 2016. Like, you know, I I wish I had the little bell. We're about to go down the list. (laughs) And I just go, (laughs) I wish I could do that right now. We need the, yeah, we need a bell. Yeah, we need the bell. All right. Next. Next time. Yeah, next time. I'll come list my accomplishments again. Right. Don't even right. worry. Right. Because they're not just your accomplishment. It was an accomplishment for the people. Yes. You know? Exactly. Um, and so at one point in time, you actually had city council persons um, riding the bus line yeah. themselves, yeah. right? That's mm-hmm. big to really put them in that that seat, yeah. literally, yeah. Yeah. To, to show them, hey, this isn't, how would you get to work on time right. if you had to ride a bus, right? Right. Well, and we, we ask them to do it as office hours, that, you know, office hours with council, that if they're available in their big, scary city hall, you know, offices that you've got to go through security and ring in the doorbell, that they can come and be a little bit uncomfortable in a new environment, too. Yeah. <laughs> you it's can fair. come fair see what us. it looks like and get a, a real feel for that experience. Yeah. And, you know, we took... We we took um, like council candidates when they were running for office, and you know had them come in and ride the bus and just get a feel because you can sit and especially the biggest thing that I have to challenge myself with is um, letting people tell their own stories because I get loud and my ego is big and <laughs> that's something I have to beat down every once in a while. But um, that said, it's incredible what happens when someone who has the capacity to change something sits at the same table. Mm-hmm. with someone who experiences the impact of that lack. Mm. Yep. That um, for me to tell a story for someone who is dependent on public transportation is not nearly as effective as mm-hmm. having someone who uses a wheelchair yep. that could not drive or isn't going to be able to afford to spend $60,000 on an accessible van 
understand yeah. um, that this is their option, and every choice you make in this this arena have their face on it. Like mm-hmm. know who they are, yeah. and that you know it it changes not only like the policy decisions, but just that understanding that there's not that big of a difference between you and the person that's riding the bus or the person yeah. that needs affordable housing or the person that is looking for something on the the side of the street. Like we're yeah. we are all very very closely connected especially when you look at it that way yeah yeah Yeah, man it's fun fun. i just watched it from afar and was just uh, (laughs) blown away and i sit back and do that sometimes and look at the other departments at the ic and i'm just like wow like we're we're really making change and and it feels amazing right uh to to really change the tone of our society right Yeah. yeah i i you know i don't um, require public transportation, but I did use it a lot and and do use it. And this like, I have the the creepiest grin on my face sometimes <laughs> when I'm on routes where I'm like, this is here because of the work we did. Yeah. <laughs> it's yes. fun to watch. Like, yes, my advocacy work got this to where it is now, and right. it is. It's and it's totally addictive. I, mm-hmm. Yeah. We've, we've had some minor victories in the last couple of months and we're like yes yeah that's yeah. what we wanted and and to see the change in it not only in policy but in perspective of those that initially came against what you were trying to change right. yeah. um and and it's it's really amazing to watch and yeah. and it is addicting it's it's one of those legal drugs that you're allowed to to to, mm-hmm. to you know walk around with and like yeah i know yeah but it's so Maybe. empowering to know that you have that ability to make change that yeah. your voice does count yes yeah, it yes is. and on the topic of change dixies what are some you were at how long have you been at the independent center for nine years for nine years in that nine years that's almost a decade like how do we um how have you seen the transformation from the time that you began at the independent center and this is at the independent center and in our community of colorado springs up until now like what has that change looked like um wow it's been amazing when i started i was the program manager and i believe we had about seven staff Um, and everybody did everything you know (laughs) as far as seeing consumers i even saw consumers and i learned a lot about the resources when i was doing that and it was it was really humbling and it's just such a great experience and it yeah. gave me an idea of what a lot of the barriers were in the in the community well as we we grew it's great we have 48 employees right now and most everyone has a specialty area that they work in so um, we have over 51 percent of our staff and our board members that have a disability and that's so important because mm-hmm. they come with that expertise and that knowledge yeah. of what what that the needs of that disability and how you can live independently yeah. and the ability to share that with with everyone in the community and our consumers that come in and so a lot of change in the growth of the center and the amount of the advocacy that we're able to provide mm-hmm. one of the big things that i've seen happen i spend a lot of my time at the state level looking at different policy and, and changes and there are nine centers across colorado all quite small uh, there's not a lot of funding that go into centers and this is where i felt empowered and found out that my voice really did make a big difference because I I really advocated for centers to get a base funding so that um, they could do more of the work that they they do 
too. Mm-hmm. And uh, we really had a big win about three years ago. We were able to get a base funding of 650000 plus additional a formula put together for any new monies that come in for centers. And what a difference that's made across Colorado in the, the efforts that they're uh, to work with individuals with disabilities and, and change those, remove those barriers that are yeah. in the community that keep you from living independently. Yeah, It's addicting, isn't it? It, it really is. <laughs> yeah. It's inspiring as well. Yeah. Very inspiring. Uh, just hearing the joy and, and all of your voices when speaking about change. Um, to our listeners, just know that it all started with an idea. It, it all started with an idea and that your voice is important and yeah. that your voice can bring change. Don't ever feel like your voice cannot bring change or that you're not heard because if you feel like your voice isn't strong enough, you organize a group of people and you use the same voice. You use all of your voices as one yeah. and you create that change. You yeah. can mm-hmm. you can do it. I just wanted to put that out there to our listeners. Yeah. Thank you, Reverend Ratcliffe. I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, I'm a <laughs> We're adding the button to this, to this list that we want. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so, um, so Dixie, um, what do you see for yourself in the future? What do you see the? How do you see the? And what would you like to see the independent living movement? Which direction would you like to see that movement go into? What do you see coming in the future? You know, if I could cast a um, kind of the future, I would love to see that um, centers for independent living really aren't needed because everyone understands disability. The whole um, country is is inclusive of people with disabilities. They understand those um, disability rights. The barriers have been removed in the community. I know that that's a a long-term dream, and it might take us a long time to get there, but that's really what I strive Mm -hmm. to to see is that we just continue to remove those barriers, and and, um, everyone has the right to live the same, the the life that they want to live. It might look differently than someone else, but it's the way that they want to live their life. Right. Right. That this is, I don't think it's a, too much of a lofty goal. I think that we're we're moving in in positive directions of that goal. We really are, yes. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think we'll get to something similar to that eventually. But um, it's kind of strange to say we're we're working to put ourselves out of business. <laughs> essentially, that's what we want to do. Um, and so, yeah, I I can totally see that 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 goal that dream on the horizon. We just got to get there. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The tone of and, and the level of acceptance in America mm-hmm. uh, nowadays has changed just in my lifetime. Uh, the ability to accept others that may live differently or or do things or access our communities differently, uh, that level of in- acceptance has truly increased. Where I can remember a time where people were kind of standoffish when they would find out I had a disability, to now where people jump and over help and i think that's it's beautiful you know in its own right that uh we're we're getting to this place where everybody can accept everyone for who they are as Mm -hmm. people right you know and that's great Mm -hmm. that's great we do have a lot of opportunities though moving forward i think that you know we've there there are like collective issues that that impact so many groups of people including people with disabilities like public transportation like the lack of affordable housing Mm -hmm. um the area where i feel like people with disabilities 
and Centers for Independent Living in particular can really own is around healthcare access. Yeah. That, um, but I see one of the cool like points of pride for me with our center in particular is that we are we are a really strange. I mean, we're a unique model. <laughs> <laughs> strange and unique is good. Yeah. <laughs> because we we started in 1987 not as a center for independent living, but as a home health care agency yeah. by a woman with quadriplegia mm-hmm. that couldn't find quality home health care that met her needs. Yeah. So most centers for independent living, there are some you know that are out there that are now adding home health care services, but we did the opposite. Like We started as a home health care agency because we acknowledge that there are going to be some people with disabilities that may always need home health care, yeah. and that's totally fine, but the way that it can be delivered is through the lens of the IL philosophy, that a for-profit home health care agency has yeah. literally no vested interest in teaching people to not use their services, right. because they get to bill for all of those services. <laughs> right. And our heart is not to, you know, expunge as much out of Medicaid as we can. It's right. that people can be as independent as possible. So, right. yeah, if you need home health care, great. We're going to give it to you in the mode of you can still continue to learn. You mm-hmm. don't have to rely on us forever. And right. anytime you're ready to take on a new challenge, we have a whole team of people in our back pocket that yeah. want to do right. that for you. Yeah. Right. And that that is really special to me because mm-hmm. I think Centers for Independent Living have sort of, they've held... They've held the healthcare arena like at arm's length. Like right. you are the enemy. Like you, you're the one holding us down, and that's not untrue. Not <laughs> <laughs> that said, mm-hmm. we can't change that system if we don't engage with it, and right. if we don't right. kind of provide an example. If you can do it differently, like mm-hmm. we're going to show you. Like our center mm-hmm. is a model of how you can do that. How yeah. how people with disabilities can provide their own services. Yes. That we can have a deaf CNA that provi- you know provides services to other people with other types of disabilities. Yep. And how much more effective is that when right. when it's people that can understand yes. barriers supporting other people that mm-hmm. are facing barriers? Like, mm-hmm. that's the whole heart of what we do. Right. But we do it in a, in a way that, like, we're a social impact business before we even knew what those were. Yeah. Like, exactly. You know, that's so. really cool to, to just come from that frame of both privilege, because we're, we have more resources than a lot of other centers for independent mm-hmm. living, but we do it through the heart of independent living philosophy and that's that's exactly where i want us to stay yeah awesome man yeah i can see that and we spend a lot of time you know internally talking about what our philosophy is yes and you know when we make a decision we don't just you know look at it as is it going to make us money or is it going to cost us money it's really is this going to allow us to live breathe and act through our mission and our vision um and so it's 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 kind of a fun environment to work in when you explore new ideas because there's it's usually not a no it's is how is this going to impact our consumers is it going to allow further access for them to live independently or allow them to have access to different opportunities and experiences versus saying no it's going to cost too much um and that's it's it's a unique perspective to work in and it's kind of it's almost hard to work in at first if you're not used to it if you're not used to it is this real life <laughs> exactly are they seriously just Man. asking me if this is going to benefit someone like- right I want to break into a, a quick narrative and 
when, when I first came to the Independence and I was working in peer support and Dixie was my program manager mm-hmm. at the time. And I can remember going through an issue with a, a consumer and it was just really a really difficult issue. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to like, what can I do? Like, what are my parameters? Like, right. what is too far and what is not enough? <laughs> right. And so I'm sitting here on my computer. It was via email going back and forth with this consumer. And I said, wait, before I go too far, let me speak to Dixie. I couldn't find my direct manager. So let me go speak to Dixie. I walked next door into Dixie, Dixie, Dixie's office, explained the situation. And her first reply was, what do you think? What do you think, Daniel, you mm-hmm. should do about this situation? Mm-hmm. And it really made me just sit back in my chair and just really think my boss has given me an opportunity to create change. She's allowing me to use my knowledge and my own ideas to create change. And that was something that I was not used to. Um, As uh, being a, like working in retail, you're so used to your boss telling you what to do and telling you what you can and can't do. It was very refreshing for my boss to say, what do you want to do about it? Yeah. And whatever you want to do about it, run, by, run it by me. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to CC on that email. Right. Yeah. Run it by me. But, <laughs> but you have free reign, and I, I trust that you will be making the best decision. So that that was awesome. And that's the type of environment that we have at the Independent Center. And that's the same thing that we do with our consumers. It's not, yep. I'm not going to tell you what to do with your life. Yep. I can't. Because it's not my life, it's yeah. your life. What do you want to do and how can I help you do that? Yeah. You know, and that's our philosophy. That's the independent living philosophy is mm-hmm. how can we help you accomplish your goals? Yeah. You know? And we know that, you know, if if staff don't have the space to be creative and to test out new ideas and to risk, then how in the world are we supposed to support yeah. other consumers with taking on risks and challenging something? Like right. if we create a static environment out of it has to look this way and then mm-hmm. say, But go have fun with them like that's that we have to live a philosophy better than that and i think we do yeah definitely we do definitely it's it's kind of fun to watch um staff as a manager watching them explore the boundaries that they they intentionally put on themselves Mm -hmm. and then when you challenge them to go okay what do you think or what's your perspective or what do you want to do about it and it really kind of takes them aback and they sit back and go I have a choice. Yes. <laughs> and I, I have a voice. Yes. Um, and so then you can tell tell them, this is how I want you to pass this empowerment on to your consumers. Yeah. Because they do have a voice and they have a choice in how they want to move forward. Yeah. And um, it's it's pretty fun to watch. It is. It is. It's, it's especially with the consumers as well, because it, mm-hmm. it all trickles down. It's like yeah. a domino effect. Yeah. You know, uh seeing the light bulb go off in a consumer's head that had they first come into the office saying there's no way i'll be able to do this this is not possible yep. oh my gosh I, I can't i gotta make this deadline <laughs> by tomorrow i don't know what to do and the first question is did you call them <laughs> oh man let me let me call them so then they call it's handled and then they have this look on their face where it's like the entire world has changed and they yep. would love to give you the credit. Yeah. They would love to give you the uh-huh. credit, but then you can look right back at them and say, I had nothing to do. I just gave you a suggestion. You took it upon yourself to call. You made that phone call. So yeah. that's your credit. You deserve that credit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You did it. Yeah. yeah. 
That's awesome, man. Yeah. Yes. So, um, Dixie and Courtney, uh, I have, a, I guess, a, a last question. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, for the both of you, if you wanted to give any message to our consumers or to our listeners, to our community, to our country, <laughs> to our world. <laughs> we don't limit ourselves. Right. What, what would that message be? Man, you really stumped them. That was the, that was the goal. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to narrow it down. Yeah, there's no I limit. Know. I mean, I think... I think so much of it has to come, it comes down to your attitude about yourself, that like the, the beginning of change starts internally with you believing that you deserve something different. And if you don't think that you deserve equal access, if you think that due to your disability, you're somehow less than or not as good as, or whatever that looks like, um, that starts inside of you. Like you get to challenge that voice in your head Mm -hmm. through whatever means make sense to you, whether it's therapy or peer support or journaling or who knows, come talk to our peer support staff. That's what they're there for. (laughs) Whatever that Uh looks like for you, that um, you do have the capacity to get what you want and deserve in the world in the same way that, you know, our staff model this, we model this, I model this. Like, Mm -hmm. I am uh, an an output of this philosophy. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not the same person I was when I started at the IC six years ago. Mm -hmm. And the impact that I have, it is a spider web like it Mm -hmm. it doesn't happen immediately but the way that you think about yourself impacts the way other people think about you and then Mm. that just carries down down the road so if if there's something that you want to change know that it starts inside yourself but that you have connections all around you with people that that want the same thing and deserve the same things you do and fight for them Yep. Awesome. I agree. That was beautifully said, Courtney. I don't know if I can (laughs) say it any better. Um, Just to add to that, I guess, it's it's just knowing that... we're, we're really there to help empower, not to do for, but to, to walk alongside and, and help individuals to see that in themselves and to feel that empowerment and gain those skills. And, and it's just such a um, great feeling, I guess, for, for our consumers, for us, because we're growing. Like Courtney said, we're not the same people. We're, we're, none of us have all of the answers. Right. We all depend. We're interdependent, really, on each other and so um i I think if we can keep that in mind as we move forward that it's uh it's just a great um great feeling yeah we're one big family right we've had discussions about the difference between independence and interdependence and as much as we talk about independent living philosophy what we're really looking at is that everybody acknowledges how interdependent we are that i'm not independent i sure as heck could not do everything that (laughs) that i do in my world without everybody that surrounds Mm -hmm. me and supports me right but i do it with my choice involved in that process so yeah Mm -hmm. that that interdependence despite our name being what it is (laughs) a core piece of who we are yeah and sometimes it's hard to label what the process is or what is happening um because it can become very natural to have um the relationships that you've built or create within your your own work environment yes and um and how one person's strength can feed off of another person's strength and um 
and then we're able to create the, the great things that we do. Yeah. Um, not one person in, in our building is the end-all, be-all, and knows everything and does everything. Um, and we all acknowledge that. Yeah. And um, and we do know who to go to mm-hmm. with when we need something, because that is that person's strength. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it is a, a really great opportunity for us to explore and, and grow um, within ourselves. And then you get to see the changes in the evolution of someone. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's awesome. We get paid for this. I know. (laughs) Yay! We get paid for this? Hold on. I didn't know that. You guys get paid? (laughs) No. (laughs) You may want to talk to your manager about that. Just saying. (laughs) I wish you were still here. We're going to have a conversation after this podcast. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for um, for coming in today. Uh, it has truly been a pleasure. Um, thank you. Inspirational. I'm definitely going to leave out of here feeling awesome, ready to <laughs> ready to change something. I might just go Whatever plant it is, a just tree or something. something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty Bring sure your tree inside out. Like. Right. Right. It's right around the corner. You can go find a tree to, to plant. Uh, or hug. Oh, sure. Yeah. That's your thing. I'm with it. I'm with it. Your choice. I'll We have a staff that knows how to do that professionally. I'll hook you up. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, you know, thanks guys for you know sitting down and, and talking to us. I know that sometimes um, Daniel and I don't really give much prep for for conversations. We, we, we don't give any. Don't, yeah. By the way, here's your email that you're signed up. You know, catching people in the natural state is just the best. Yeah. You know, allowing people to really speak from their heart. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a good time. It is. Um, So if you guys are interested in the Independence Center, go ahead and you can Google us or you can go to our website www.theindependentcenter.org um, You can call us in order to just stop by. So our phone number is, is 719-471-8181 um, If you want to talk to Courtney and Dixie directly, you just ask for them by name and you'll get transferred to their extensions. Um, and I will also put our website on uh, this podcast description. Yeah. Um, anything else you guys want to add oh, before we close? Our address. Oh, man, you know our I address. You. Yeah, it's 729 South Tay. I might not know if I don't get paid. <laughs> um, <laughs> our address is 729 South Tejon, and that is in Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80903. Please come by and see us. Yep. We're always open, always welcome, and you're always greeted with you know, a pretty enthusiastic hello. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we can guarantee that one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's the end of our Independence Center podcast. We've finished another one, and truthfully, uh, thank you guys yeah. so much for coming. I'm Daniel Ratcliffe. And I'm Rebecca Michael. Signing off. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.